Well, it's my uh, privilege to carry on the Acts um, series, and uh, my my uh, task was to, uh, as some of you may not know, Acts is a long book of 26 chapters, and we split it into 12 sections, which means that we're not doing a verse by verse or even a chapter by chapter, uh, but we are um, we have split it in a way that we can get a taste of Acts and the the heart behind it. Um, is that we are inspired to see what God is doing and will do through his church by the Holy Spirit. And Daniel last week said, um, talked about the Acts. If you look in the ESV, it says the Acts of the Apostles. But if anyone has the King James Version, maybe even the New King James Version, I think it says the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So if anyone wants to prove me wrong there, I may be wrong, but I think that's the case. And the reason is, is because... Um, these titles of books aren't necessarily inspired by the Lord, but really, I would say, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. And that's kind of like the summary of, of Acts for me. It's, and it's like, well, this is what God has done. And when we look at Acts, we look at the description of what God is doing. And we can say, well, God is the same God, and we want to see God do the same thing in us as a church. Amen? Amen. So um, I'm just going to pray because uh, we, we need the Holy Spirit's help, and particularly me. So uh, let's pray. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and speak, come and enlighten, come and encourage, come and cause faith to rise in our hearts this morning. We thank you for this time of worship, just the encouragement of your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, because we know that you are present. And as you're present here, Lord, through your words, will you, will you equip us, will you inform us, will you transform us? In Jesus' name, amen. So... Um, I want to try to finish at quarter past 12 um, because we've got a, a, a video from Adam Ball who's um, serving in South Africa, Adam Balewa. Um, and I asked him to do a video and he did it 10 minutes long. <laughs> so, Adam, come on. But, so I want to show that at the end. So I would like to finish in, in half an hour. So pray for me. Um, so just a bit of background. Um, in Acts chapter 2, I encourage you to go away and read it. We will look at bits of it. But um, we heard last week from Adam, uh, from, from Daniel, sorry, was that the, um, the followers of Jesus were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning. They're in, the, in this room, and there were 500, and it's down to 120. And it's been 10 days since Jesus ascended, since Jesus said to them, wait. They've been waiting 10 days. And the Holy Spirit comes, and there's a great mighty wind, it says, and then there's flames, divided flames, like the fire of God came and just separated out on every head, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went out onto the street, they preached the gospel, and they were speaking in tongues in different languages that all the people that had come for um, the, um, the, 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 the festival from different parts of, of Asia, Asia Minor, I think it was, came hearing the gospel, in hearing the, the word of God through these different languages. And, and they said, you know, what is going on here? Are these, are these people drunk? And Peter preaches his first sermon. And, it's, and what I want us to do is just look at that sermon and see, actually, when you look, not just through his sermon, you see foundational of a principle in which this birth of the church, which is what happened in, his, in Acts 2, the church is birthed, but it's birthed on a foundation, it's birthed on a principle that I believe that we need to really graft this morning and be encouraged by, because as I said, this is what we are built on. So 
Put your hand up if I'm going too fast. Where's Natalia? Is she in the room? <laughs> um, so put my, your hand up if I'm going too fast, Jenna. So the church is, is released, it's birthed, and there's this wonderful expression. In, um, and in this sermon, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to speak about. We see the church birthed on the foundation of the sovereignty of God. So I'm going to talk about the sovereignty of God, and uh, I'll explain what that means. But the, the first that I'd love for you to make a real point of is in chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's so much going on in there. He's saying God had a definite plan that he, that he set before the foundation of the world. He foreknew every eventuality. It was his plan, his desire that Jesus would die, but you are accountable because you crucified him through the hands of rebellious men. And there's God's plan, man's responsibility. God didn't come and puppet things, but God is sovereign. And God can do whatever God wants to do. And he will do what God wants to do. And there is nothing that can stand against them. Well done. Carmen and Sam have been sucking traffic the whole time. Bless them. And they persevered. Bless you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's been amazing here, guys. The Lord has really been moving. Um, Lovely to thank you for keep coming. So, I'm just going to give you a little bit of summary. So, the sovereignty of God does not need to overrule free will in order to maintain his sovereignty, in order to maintain that God's rule, God's power to do whatever he wants to do, he does not need to overrule your free will. All right, and this is a mystery. Okay, we will never understand this. And the, the opposite side is, if God has said he's going to do something in your life, it doesn't matter whether the whole world is against you, he will do it. It doesn't even matter whether you're fully on board, he will do it. That's the bottom line. If you think that the task that you see in your life, the problem, the situation, is so huge, you've got no way out of it, in the hands of God, he will do it. That's, that's the sovereignty of God because he is king and he rules and he lives. And the church was founded on this principle that I want to share with you. And some other little things, just in case you're wondering. God neither involves himself in sin in order to be in total control. He doesn't have to do any evil thing. And God's sovereignty is a natural consequence of his omniscience, his all-knowings nature, his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature, and his omnipresence, his all, um, uh, oh crumbs, being, everywhere, all at the same time nature. And nothing in the universe occurs without God's permission. God has the power and knowledge to prevent anything he chooses to prevent, so anything that does happen must, at the very least, be allowed by God. And that's where people struggle. Why does God allow earthquakes? Why does God allow abuse and difficulties and struggles? And what people say is, is that if God allows it, that means that he causes it or he is held accountable to it. But 
we know through the fall that the world has fallen and broken and so are we, which has led to sin. And just as that verse says that Jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, not by the hands of God. So this is this great mystery that we're going to try and traverse through, if that's the word. But I hope that through this we can see in the background there is this um, foundation, this principle the church is built on, the fact that God is in control, God rules, and he will bring about exactly what he wants to bring about, and it doesn't matter whether he uses the hands of rebellious men. He will do it. And he will do that in you, and he'll do that for me, he'll do that for my family. And when God speaks and he gives a word, says, I shall do it, we'll see this in a minute, he shall do it. Okay, let's, so, he, so Peter's preaching, and we, let's jump in at verse 17. And he, he, he brings this prophecy. And um, another thing I learned today, we're going to go through um, this passage, because um, you know that the word will and shall is the same word. It's just used, grammar changes it. I'm, I'm not a great English expert, but in, in this, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to change all the word will to the word shall. But it's not grammatically correct, but it means the same thing. All right. Listen to this. This is 500 or 800 years before. See, this, what I want to show here is that God planned this thing to happen. The birth of the church. He planned it to happen and he made it happen. And he says, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I shall pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. We have yet to see this part of the prophecy. Blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? How many shalls and wills in that? That's God saying, listen, there is nothing that anyone can stop that from happening. And this is, I've been studying or been reading a little bit about hell. And I said, what? Um, and I was listening to someone preach and they said this, one of the greatest regrets that people have in hell for eternity, is that the way of escape was so simple. It's as simple as this. It shall come to us. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to climb the highest mountain. You don't have to do all these kind of things and work hard and live and be regenerate, or whatever the, the word is, come back as a better person for a thousand years and then maybe, maybe if the scales are fine, maybe you will be saved. No, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved because God is sovereign. Oh, isn't it wonderful? It shall happen. And this is prophesied and we start and we see it, we're living, we're living the sovereignty of God outworked in our lives. We shall, and that's, next week we have this prophecy meeting, and that's, this isn't just talking about prophecy, this is talking about how God is speaking through ordinary people like you and me. And maybe you have had a vision or, you know, dream dreams. And I'm not saying, I, I think it's important in these prophecies that we don't say only old men dream dreams. If you have a dream, 
You know, maybe you're young, you've had dreams. I mean, dream dreams. I don't mean dreams like, I wish I'd be able to do this in 20 years' time. Dreams where God is speaking. He's saying, old men, young men, bond servants, which is the servants, these that are bonded, the slaves, if you like, all this whole range of people, all these people are gonna be used by me, not just the odd person who was my prophet like Joel. Everyone, you, God is gonna move through you and you're gonna bring the word of God into the situations. That's what he's saying. And so we see this, shall, you shall, okay? Have I got that point across? Can I move on? And he goes on, men of this verse 22. Um, oh, by the way, just verse 41, look at this. And so, after he's preached, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Why? Because God said, that shall happen. Um, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus. Now, if your Bible has a little number there, it's pointing to the fact that the Greek is this one. And so the, the interpreters have helped us by reminding us he's talking about Jesus. But he's saying this one, there's only one. I think that's important, isn't it? There is one, only one who was delivered up. There is only one that God had a definite plan through. There is only one who was crucified and killed for, for our sin by the hands of lawless men. That is Jesus. Amen? There is not any others. There is not any other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Um, delivered up, given over, to rebellious mankind, to be dealt with, to be crucified. I said, I think I said, I might have said recently, I can't remember when I said it. It really occurred to me that, that Jesus, you know you hear the whole story. Have I said this before? Just tell me. Um, uh, what was I going to say? That before the creation of the world, there was a big conversation and, um, is that my time up? Um, there was this big conversation. He said, what are we going to do with mankind? They've sinned. And Jesus said, I know, send, I'll go, and then I'll die on the cross. Conversation never happened. And I understand the creative idea behind it. But it says that the Father sent the Son, and the Son obediently went. I think that changes things. That Jesus was willing to go. It wasn't his idea. He was willing to go. Uh, I know there's mystery around the Trinity and so forth. But nevertheless, he was delivered up, given over. By God, his, his son, um, according to the definite plan, the determined, set boundaries, planned with constraints, caused to happen. God planned it definitely, succinctly. This is going to happen. Delivered up. And the foreknowledge of God, preordained beforehand, says, you crucified. God didn't crucify him, even though he willed it to happen. The activity of the crucifixion was fully owned by mankind who willingly did it. And that's why when we stand before the Lord, if we don't know the Lord, we have to give an account. And we realize that we are indebted by sin and we need a saviour. But by the time we stand before the Lord, it's too late. Um, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, rebellious men, the hearts of those that Jesus came to save. He came to save the ones who crucified him. 
rebellious, would not want to go. Even those who had everything against the will of God, God used to perform his purposes. So I want to build this picture. Yeah? God's sovereignty, man's responsibility coexist. And I don't know how. And what happens is when people are trying to understand that, they make God less and they elevate man in order to make it work. And you can't bring God down from his highest place. You can't make out, try to for, force him into my understanding. Just don't bother. All, what, what we know is the scripture is clear that God is in control. And I know this is the most hardest when we're in most difficulty. But that's when we need to find the hope that even through the hands and the actions of rebellious men and women, and we may be the ones in that bracket, it may be others, God will do what he will do. Amen? I, I feel like some, some here have still got to get that message because I'm not seeing the response on the faces that I'm hoping for. Just to throw that one out there for you. Amen. Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Joseph is another one. You can look into Joseph, Genesis 50, 20, if you want to look at, um, if you know the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery, and then long uh, by his brothers, he was picked up as a slave, and then he found himself, by God's grace, leading the whole of Egypt, and then his brothers came asking for grain, and he revealed himself, and they were in absolute fear. He said, don't worry, what you men, eat, you men evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He understood the sovereignty of God. And so he says um, in verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. And I was looked into that word, and it's, it can be translated pains of death, but also the pangs as in a grip, like a grip of death, you know, like two sharp things holding on to something, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he goes on and he starts to break down um, in the next passage, 25 to 36, about how David prophesied that this um, son of God will be, I'm going to skip that because I want to, um, you can read that later. Um, <clears throat> It just, he just continues to say, now let me go into this. He um, says in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's saying, listen, what you're seeing here, this birth of the church is because God foreordained the answer because he's sovereign. And when Jesus was raised up and ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit and here we see the birth of the church. And so, you, anyway, you just see this coming full circle, um, the sovereignty of God. And, but the real question is, okay, what does this mean 
for the birth of the church and for the church today. This is lovely, John, what you're saying about the church then, but what does it mean for me now? The church has been birthed. We are the church. As there are many churches in this land, in this world, we are the church. But what does it mean? See, every day, and this is just something I've been trying to sort of work for in my own, own, own mind. Every day we see in the world around us and even in established churches, things are changing. Even this week, the Church of England Synod has voted on making something, um, uh, establishing that we can bless what God calls his sin. You know, we may have all these concerns. Lord, what is going on? What is going on here what is going on there? What is going on in my family? I've got concerns maybe over my family, over my children. Maybe there's concerns over your parents or there's concerns about society and culture. We think about our children in the schools and, in the, in the, and we think, you know, what? there's all this stuff that's just happening all around me, if you like, if I can just put it in. It's all at the hands of lawless men. It's all at the hands of a rebellious society. People wanting to go their own way. How do I deal with that? How do I deal with the fact that there are some things that look like facts to me and science to me that are, are, being, that are actually being denied or there are things being called science now where there doesn't seem to be following the same rules anymore if you follow that whole discussion. Um, there are things that are deemed biblical truth when it isn't in the Bible. Or it's, it's sin or maybe our challenges. So there's all these kind of thoughts. So how are we... How do, we live my, how do I live my life? Uh, how do we live our life as a church when society continues to distance itself from historical positions where the church could just quite easily just fit in society, but now, more and more so, church will not fit with society. And you are the church. That means you, by the way, not this organization that has some faceless thing. That's us, isn't it? How do we, how do we deal with that in these days? You know, and maybe our challenges are more, are more practical. There's financial challenges, health, relationships. How does one find a good husband or wife in these days? It's not easy. And sometimes maybe we go for those things that are lesser because it seems to be the only way these days. And one of the things that stuck out when Nyla said... Uh, when she spoke for those 10 minutes, she made this point. In the generation, generation Z, which is my kid's generation, um, sex before marriage as a Christian is a norm. But it's not biblically correct. And so how do we do this? How do we exist as church? Well, it's the sovereignty of God. If we understand that God remains sovereign, that God says it shall, then it shall, that God has the power and authority to perform his plans and purposes, that he will do for, um, that for all those who are called by his name. Uh, uh, if you want to turn to Romans 8, 26 to 31. Um, and the reason I'm tying into this is because we have to have a vision that God is still working out his purposes in the midst of rebellious mankind. As he did in the church, he founded it on a principle. It's not what's going on around us. It's not what's going on in our, in our situations. It's what he determines to do, which, which is what is most important. And we as a church need to listen and obey and follow. And so Romans 8, which is a wonderful passage. Again, I won't be able to go into it. I've, got, I've given myself five more minutes. Um, 
And you can read, read Romans 8, it's a wonderful passage, but from verse 26, he says this. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches hearts. Um, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit is praying for us. And the Spirit searches the heart of God. And the Spirit searches our hearts. And there's this communication of the will of God to our hearts. And we know that for those who love God, amen, anyone? All things work together for good. Now, I prefer another interpretation, that through all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Because sometimes I think that can be misunderstood to mean that all that bad stuff that happened to you, God will work that for your good. No, he will work for your good in spite of that and through that situation. He will work for your good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, his sovereignly decided, it shall happen purpose for your life. And then, just to prove this, he goes on, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's sovereignty. He's saying, I shall make you like Jesus. That's my purpose and plan for you, and he will do it. That's predestination. I know these are big subjects, and and he said, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And I know you could do sermons on each of those. But just on this glorified, it means, it means he will bring you up into glory. Wonderful. So, let's, let's look at this. What then shall we say to these things? Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? The sovereignty of God. If God is for me, it doesn't matter what is against me. You could have everything come against me, but it doesn't matter. Because what God said shall happen, shall happen. And so what have I got to do? I've got to, to not be distracted by what's going on around in my life, in my situation, I've got to put myself in a position where I say, what has God promised me? He shall do it. What has God, what's the provision that I need? He shall provide it. What is God spoken? He shall perform it. Yeah? It was founded, the church was founded on this principle because in order for the church to be successful, it would never have got through 50 AD or 51 AD, whenever the year was. It would never have survived a year unless because of the persecution that they went through. It would never have survived. But what they had, I believe, deep in their hearts was that God has got a plan and he shall perform it. And so the early church was founded on it. You know, <clears throat> oh, but I'm, I'm reliant on others. You know, how can, I, how can I do this? I really need others. God will do it. But my kids, my, the parents, the teachers, the neighbours, my boss, they won't listen. God will do it. God will do it. My finances can't grow themselves. God can do it. We need more workers. We need more kids or young people. God will do it. I cannot be there for someone. <clears throat> Hold on, what have I written here? 
Oh, I, I can't be there. I'd love to be there for someone to help them in their time of need, but I can't, can't do it. God will make it happen. It's, it's founded on this principle. See, and so I want to finish with this in the next two minutes. But it's founded on, and this is where it really comes down to our activity. So what do we do? We need to understand the will of God. We need to understand the promises of God. We need to understand the purposes of God. We need to understand the plans of God. And what, what, how do we do that? We have to pray. And pray is the process of putting ourselves in a position to listen and have a vision for the plans and the purposes of God. And so prayer is it's not providing an agenda for God, but it's performing, actually, the agenda of God through our prayers. God brings about his purpose throughout the last 2,000 years because men and women have prayed and brought into action what God had purposed in his heart. That's what's happened in the early church. It founded on that. He said, I'm going to make this happen, but I'm going to make it happen because of Sam doing what I've told her to do. Of Milena doing what I've told her to do. Because Tracy obeyed me. It took a while, but John got there in the end. But I planned it that way. Such is the mystery. Praying in those things that are in his heart. We're, we're bringing our purposes of God through joining him in prayer. We are not just going, God, please do this and this. Although, please go ahead and do that. Because that, you know, this is... It's, it's biblical. God, I need you. Help me. I need this in my life. Go for it. Pray it. Pray it. But also say, God, I'm here for you. What do you want me to do? How can I, as your church, as a member of your church, as church together, bring about the purposes of God because we are setting aside our time to seek him and say, Lord, we want to know your will and purpose so that we can be active in seeing the plans and purposes of God outworked. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. It is the greater work. And this is why prayer should always, um, um, hold on, let me read this. This is why prayer should always contain hearts ready to listen and be led by the Holy Spirit because your prayer may be the turning point in a situation. You don't know the impact of your prayer. I mean, at some point, that's got to be someone, surely, or something. So, you know, we persevere in prayer and say there's 20 people and the praying over two weeks and at some point in that meeting in Acts chapter 2 can you imagine being the person saying oh Lord please come and move and that's the moment <laughs> can you imagine boom and he's like wow what did you pray well we all prayed it's just in the time you know it's like it's the, the Hebrides revival you know the, 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 the words of the Dennis the guy called Dennis the Scottish guy who stood up and prayed do you know that story um, and God just, sh the house shook. I think it just, all those people that have prayed before, all the old ladies who prayed for Duncan Campbell to come, all the people in the prayer meetings, and this one young guy, he was a young person, stood up and said, oh Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And um, what are the odds? <laughs> and God went, now. That could be you. I'm not trying to say, you know, oh, you could be that person, let pride ways. I'm like, we never know at what point God's going to do because we prayed and we persevere, we pray. We say, Lord, we want to listen, we want to pray because we believe in the sovereignty of God. And so I want to finish with this. I'm, I'm finding more and more, here's the last, last shot. I'm finding more and more, there's so many things where I'm coming to the end of myself. I have nothing left but prayer. 
And you know what encourages me? I think that's where God sometimes needs to take us because we've got to stop doing it ourselves or trying to think we can do it ourselves. We can just come and we say, God, you've got to do it. There's no other way, but you've got to do it. Even if I'm on the floor at the end of my cells because I can't persuade my kids, I can't persuade my friends or whatever to know Jesus, I can't, I cannot do it. I'm at the end of it. I cannot make young people appear in this church. Praise God for you, bless you. You're the answer to prayer. I can't make workers come or I can't make this, that and the other, but God has a plan and he shall do it. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Um, shall we stand together? Um, Father, we just want to come and avail ourselves of you and just say, Father, we are yours. We need you. Lord, I want to thank you for birthing the church and thank you, Lord, for calling us to be a part of it. Lord, the church is your bride. You love your church and you are here for your church. You said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Because, Lord, you can be here with us even to the end of the age. Because only you can be here, Lord, over these centuries of of church life, Lord, across this world as your church is expanding, even in the most hardest of places like Iran and places like that, Lord, you are growing your church. Lord, any kind of word that says that your church is shrinking is a lie. Lord, maybe there are some who never knew you who are deciding, Lord, they no longer follow you. But you, Lord, are growing your church. You're building your church. Your kingdom is going out, Lord. And we here want to say, Lord, we believe that you are in control, Lord, of our own situations. Lord, help us when we struggle, when emotionally we're done. Help us, Lord, even in our most weakest, to cry out to you and say, Lord, but you are in control because you are sovereign. Lord, you started something back in Acts chapter 6 and we're seeing it keep going because you are working. So Lord, continue to work in us. Find hearts here, Lord, that just say amen and do wonderful things in them. For those, Lord, maybe, Lord, who are really going through something, will you encourage them? Lord, encourage them that they are not alone, that you are with them and they are with us too. Lord, we stand with one another, Lord, because you are great and marvelous. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.